Hey there, folks. My name is Emily, and you are listening to E Pluribus Unum, a podcast where we try to make sense of things so we can all find a little bit more unity and out of many one, right? That's what E Pluribus Unum means, and that's what this country was founded on. We have a few topics to discuss today. We're going to talk about the statements that Whoopi Goldberg made about the Holocaust. We're going to talk about Joe Rogan and his whole issue with Spotify and apparently the rest of the world. We're going to talk about apologies, a little bit about misinformation, and we're going to have a great time. Now, I know some of you might be sick of these topics because they've been discussed a lot. And I know I'm also a little bit behind when it comes to these topics, but I think we make a mistake when we talk about things right as they're happening. This is certainly true when it comes to news stories like police shootings, right? Or some other sort of tragedy or or a case involving two people, right? People jump to conclusions and then all you have to do sometimes is wait like 20 minutes and then there's more information. And certainly if we wait a day, three days, a week, we find out more information because we can't know everything right away. Even if we see a video, right? And someone posts it on Instagram. If you're not seeing the before and the after, we're not getting the whole story. So I think it's foolish when people jump on top of stories right away because it doesn't always have the full context. And we deprive ourselves of the opportunity to think about things with some clarity because we're caught up in emotion. And I know that's sort of what pundits are supposed to do, but I'm not a pundit. I'm not here to rile you up. I'm here to unrile you. Derile? Whatever the opposite of rile someone up is. Calm you down. I'm here to to calm us all down, to help us take a step back, think about things from maybe a different perspective, and just chill. So we're going to talk about these topics because they're worth talking about. They're important, but we're taking a step back and maybe looking at it from a slightly different perspective. So let's start with Whoopi Goldberg. She and her fellow View hosts were discussing a school in Tennessee banning the reading of Mouse, M-A-U-S, which is a graphic novel about the Holocaust by Art Spiegelman. I actually read it in college and I can kind of understand why a school board might not want it to be read for younger kids, though I think possibly in high school you could be ready to read it. But anyway, that's what they were discussing. And then Whoopi said this about the Holocaust. She said, quote, the Holocaust isn't about race. It's about man's inhumanity to man. That's what it's about, unquote. And then one of her co-hosts, Anna Navarro, said, but it's about a white supremacist going after Jews and gypsies. And then Whoopi responded, but these are two white groups of people. You're missing the point. The minute you turn it into race, it goes down this alley. Let's talk about it for what it is. It's how people treat each other. It's a problem. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, because black, white, Jews, Italians, everybody eats each other. End quote. I left out a few of the in-betweens from other of the hosts, but that's the bulk of what Whoopi said. And also, I think Anna Navarro's comment is important, too. I haven't heard anyone comment on what she said, but I don't like how she reduced Hitler down to, or the Holocaust, or World War II down to, it's about a white supremacist going after Jews and gypsies. Maybe exactly technically speaking, that's true. 
that it's about a white supremacist. And yes, he did go after Jews and gypsies, but it's about so much more. And I think reducing, not reducing, but using the term white supremacist to describe Hitler is, is problematic, is fraudulent, is, well, because people use the term white supremacist so much these days, and maybe she did that on purpose, but it wasn't about white supremacy. It was about Aryan supremacy. That was a very particular thing. It wasn't just any white person. And this is sort of what Whoopi was, like, she almost got there. I, I, Whoopi Goldberg was wrong. The Holocaust was about race because the Nazis and Hitler made it about race. They made Jews into a race in that way. But she's also right that it, it doesn't matter, right? It, it's about humanity's treatment of each other. And Hitler is so much more than just a white supremacist. I mean, he's one of the most evil people in the entirety of the 20th century, of, Kirk, of course, possibly throughout all of history. And Anna Navarro saying it's about a white supremacist going after Jews and gypsies. Again, maybe it's because the term white supremacist is thrown around all the time now. I think it actually cheapens the experience of people in the Holocaust because people use white supremacists now to Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson, and I'm sure someone would call me a white supremacist too if they heard some of these podcast episodes. I mean, for goodness sake, they called Larry Elder the black face of white supremacy when he was running for governor in California. The man is literally black. So I think Anna Navarro using the term white supremacist, like it doesn't mean anything to people almost, or or it does, but it means the wrong thing because now they're lumping in, you know, all these other people that are conservative or that don't believe in systemic racism or that don't support Black Lives Matter. And they're all white supremacists because that's what they get called on TV. And now they're the same as Hitler. And I know people compare every Tom, Dick and Harry to Hitler. And you already know my thoughts on that if you don't review the last episode. But it's just interesting because no one has commented on what Anna Navarro said. And I think it's almost as troubling as Whoopi's comments because well, it's troubling because no one said anything about it. So that means everyone's just accepting what she said is, yeah, that's what it was. It was a white supremacist going after Jews and gypsies. No, it was a deeply evil, twisted person. I don't even want to say twisted because twisted implies some sort of mental illness. And I think when we give evil people the passive mental illness, it's also an excuse for their evilness. He was, he was evil. And it was about Aryan supremacy. Not every white person fit into his ideal. And he went after all sorts of people. And he was also about power and taking over the world. Oh, so that's, that's my thoughts on Anna Navarro. And then on Whoopi, she, she was wrong, right? The Holocaust was about race. You can read Hitler's writings in Mein Kampf and other places. And he talks specifically about a race. And we've all heard the idea about the Aryan race. This is not a term that I'm making up. I assume all of you have heard it. it we're familiar with it. And when she said these are two white groups of people, ugh, it like it kind of makes my skin crawl, actually, because, well, because she gets to the point, right? She says it doesn't matter if you're black or white, because it's just about everyone, how people treat each other, which is true. It, it Nothing should be about race. All of our interactions that we are talking about here in the US and in other countries and everywhere over the world should be about how do people treat each other, not he's racist or she's racist or they're doing it because they're black or because they're white or blah, blah, blah. It, 
ultimately, yes, it, the important thing is how we treat each other. But when she said it's just these are two white groups of people to think that that doesn't mean that someone can be racist, it is a misunderstanding, I think, of what race is. And I think we have a very narrow view of race in our country because of our history with black people. So we think that race is all about black and white, or at least light skin and dark skin. But it's not. And actually, we should also know this from our own American history, because when immigrants came to the U.S. from Italy, those, they were swarthier. So I guess it's still about a darker skin color. But today they would be considered white, but back then they weren't considered white. It, so race is this ever-changing construct, which should be an indication to all of us that race is unimportant and meaningless. The color of your skin is as important to who you are as the color of your hair. And perhaps less important because some people choose the color of their hair. Some people choose to dye it. Some people choose to leave it natural. But most people aren't doing much with the color of their skin. The color of their skin is the color that it is. I guess some people tan it. But you all know what I mean. Our race doesn't mean anything. Because, as will be said, in the Holocaust, it was two groups of white people, which is a, a, a very narrow way of looking at race anyway, to say that they're both white, because what does white mean any more than what does black mean? But fine, there are two groups of white people going against each other. But then where does someone who's of mixed race fit in? And aren't Asian people white? I mean, I've seen Asian people who are way paler than me definitely paler than certain members of my family who are rather swarthy themselves. And you could have a Latino person who's lighter. People are all over the spectrum, right? So if when you reduce people down to skin color, it's not only evil, but it's also so incredibly stupid. I wonder if all evil is stupid. That might be worth exploring in a future podcast episode. But anyway, it just... I. <laughs> The idea of like focusing on someone's race when, you know, I should really stop saying race. What I should say is skin color, because that's actually what we're focusing on. We're really not focusing on someone's race, which is probably a difficult topic anyway. What is a race? Like people ask, are Jews a race, right? Or are Jews a religion? Or are we a culture? Are we an ethnicity? And Jews are a hodgepodge of all of that, right? Because Jews can come from wherever. Any, right, any country in the world can look anyway. We do have a common ancestor, but anyone also can convert to Judaism. So Jews are everything. We're, we're all of those things, I think. But otherwise, what, what is race? Your skin is darker than mine. So what about a black person whose skin is lighter? Oh, so they could pass. So then they don't have the same experience as someone else. And what about two people who are next door neighbors and have the same experience, but they don't look the same. And then two people who look the same, but don't have the same experience, like how you look is supposed to determine your experience and different people make different choices in their lives and have different families. And it's all just so meaningless. And I think sometimes I struggle to find the words to talk about it because it makes so little sense to me that I can't even fathom the words to describe talking about race and how ridiculous it all is. All this being said, to go back to Whoopi, from what I've heard from other people. And just to give her the benefit of the doubt, and also because I think using the term anti-Semite or Jew hater or anything like that, we should also be careful of, 
and reserve it for people who really mean it. I don't think she's that. I mean, the woman did pick the last name Goldberg, right? That's not her actual last name. And I've heard that supposedly she has Jewish family. So not that you can't have Jewish family and also be anti-Semitic, I suppose. But this seems more like a stupid comment influenced by our limited view of race in the U.S. and by a misunderstanding of history. And and because right now we're so focused on race and we're so focused on it from a black and brown person versus white person perspective. So you almost like you have to be very careful and Jews are this weird no man's land that sometimes people like us and feel bad for us. And sometimes we're part of the white supremacy crowd and no one really knows what to do with us. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to call her any names. That's not my shtick anyway. I don't call people names. I think people make mistakes and maybe they really can learn from what they've said. You know, no matter, I don't know how old would be, it's probably in her 60s. She's, she could still learn history, right? She could learn the truth about the Holocaust. So she did actually say something true, right? Which is that it's not about race. It's about how people treat each other. And if we could all just focus on that part of what she said and take it to heart, maybe she did something good. All right, so let's move on to Joe Rogan, who was in hot water initially because he had on some people who talked about COVID and the vaccines and different methods of dealing with COVID and other artists on Spotify didn't like that and threatened to pull their music from Spotify if Spotify didn't do something about it. And then Spotify was going to put a disclaimer before his videos or his podcasts. And then a video surfaced of, or I shouldn't say surfaced, someone created a compilation of Joe Rogan saying the N-word 300 million times, apparently. And now he's in even more hot water because of that. I think we've talked about the N-word before on this podcast, so I won't go into it too much right now because I really want to focus on the whole misinformation aspect. But I think it's ridiculous that there's one word in our culture that is so verboten that if you say it, even in an academic sense, even if you read it in a book that was written like 150 years ago, right? In Huckleberry Finn. So you're not saying the word. You're not calling anyone. You're just reading what someone else has written. You could get in trouble and people could swoon and eat smelling salts because, oh my goodness, this word is so offensive. I mean, it's really ridiculous. And the people who get emotionally bothered by it, if they actually really, truly get emotionally bothered by it, they need psychological help. And if they're just pretending, then that's disgusting because they're real problems people have to deal with. And they're probably real problems that the black community faces. And you're making one up and wasting time. And that's disrespectful. And in this case, Rogan was using the N-word. He was either quoting other people, or he was talking about it from an academic perspective. He wasn't calling anyone it. The fact that we can't differentiate between those two uses is ridiculous. And also the fact that we actually can hear that word in music, but for some reason, if you're the wrong skin color, you can't say it is the height of, not the height of, but so racist and stupid and awful and disgusting, and it needs to stop we should be able to say that word. I'm not even going to say, people usually say the N-word. I think I'm just going to say that word. Because I think saying the N-word, you're still saying 
Well, I guess it's like saying the F word. I wouldn't say the F word on this podcast either. I don't curse, which is the only reason I won't say it is because I don't curse generally. But I actually don't think it's, I mean, I've, I've talked about curse words in an academic sense. And in those cases, I will use it. And in, the, in that sense, I would also use that word. Whatever. We've had that discussion before, but needless to say, that's something we all need to get over, especially black people. Seriously, 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 if it bothers you when someone says that word and you go into some sort of swooning fit, get help, please, for yourself and for the rest of us. But what really interests me about this whole Joe Rogan controversy is this whole idea of misinformation from two angles, or maybe it's one angle, all connected. Here's the thing. Who is Spotify to determine what is misinformation? And for that matter, Instagram and Facebook. I know those are both owned by Facebook, which is now Meta, but all of these social media companies, Twitter and whatever else, who won't allow misinformation to be spread. Dangerous misinformation. The last time I checked, Spotify played music. Anyone who knows me will know that I am a huge music fan. Music is super important to me and I love it, but it's still just music. Like Spotify is sharing music, which is great. People need music. I think if we all listen to more music and less podcasts and less news, we'd probably get along better. Every time I listen to music, I feel happier, but it, it's just music, right? And Facebook and Instagram, like you're connecting people so they can share pictures of their food. There are really great things about Facebook and Instagram, connecting with people, sharing recipes. I get a ton of recipes online. There's really good stuff on these social media platforms. But where do they get this inflated sense of self-importance that they're the arbiters of misinformation? I mean, I know a lot of it comes from government pressure and they're all in bed with each other, as it were. The more that Facebook and Instagram and Spotify listen to Jen Psaki's hints that they should clamp down on misinformation, you know, the better it's going to be for them legislatively. So I know it's all just sort of power corruption, but I can you imagine being on the board of any one of these companies that produces music or social media or something similarly fluffy and thinking, yeah, you know what? I think it's my job to tell people what information they can and can't listen to on my platform because I'm obviously a doctor and a lawyer and a scientist, so I know the best decisions for these people to make. Like, that, that's where this has to come from, right? And and also a grab for power, because power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. I learned that in eighth grade, and every day it is proven to be more and more true, unfortunately. But seriously, what is with these people that they decided they get to be the arbiters of misinformation? This, by the way, from websites where there are videos of like, take it away from politics, right? What is considered dangerous misinformation? Because we know that there were videos of kids doing that Tide Pod challenge, right? Or the cinnamon challenge. And other stupid things that teenagers do. People get all sorts of stupid information. People share all sorts of stupid information. And probably, by the way, equally as life-threatening and dangerous. Actually, shouldn't say equally. Way more life-threatening and dangerous than what Joe Rogan was sharing, which was experts in the field of medicine and science giving their opinion, and by the way, giving their opinion and their insight, not necessarily telling people what to do, which should still be left up to you 
and your doctor or your spouse and you or just you or whomever within your life that you choose to include in your decision making, but not the government and certainly not Facebook and Spotify. But there are all sorts of dangerous misinformation. There's all sorts of really dangerous things on the internet. And I think there could be a place for censorship. Not could be. There's obviously a place for for censorship. We don't want child pornography online. We don't want people actively organizing terrorist attacks online. So there is a place for censorship. And I think maybe even a more specific censorship of, you know, of like real, real hate speech. I, I, I could see that argument being made. The problem these days is that people aren't censored for real hate speech. They're censored for fake hate speech, which is why I'm not as open to censorship because we're not really being intelligent with our censorship. But there are things, right? Child pornography, snuff films, things like that. Right? Like There are things that shouldn't be on the internet. There are things that people shouldn't be able to share and see. Absolutely. But information from experts in their field. And by the way, you could listen to all of these experts and still decide to get the vaccine. Right? So you're still making choices. And the idea that this is dangerous misinformation or that it's misinformation at all is obviously a lie. But even if it was false, let's say everything they're saying is wrong. Okay, so there are 300 other podcasts that are saying, get the vaccine, get the vaccine, it's great for you. So there's one voice saying something else. People can't sift through on their own. They treat us like children. They really do. They treat us like children, and we can't figure out for ourselves how to make decisions. And they want to make all the decisions for us, which, frankly, I don't understand. Because anytime I've had any amount of power, and I'm talking like being president of a college club, which is not a lot of power, let me tell you. And it was a college drama club, so really not a lot of power. It was exhausting to make so many decisions, so many decisions. People give you a hard time and there's no right decision because you can make some people happy with one, but you'll make 10 people unhappy with the same thing. I don't understand this grab for power. I truly do not, especially again from these, it's sort of like when actors talk about their work being noble. I love acting. I've been, I've been on the stage since I was like two years old. It's probably one of my favorite places to be in the world after Disneyland, but you're just acting. You're not saving lives. You're not rushing into burning buildings, saving children. Like, have some perspective. And same thing here with Spotify. Even if what Joe Rogan was doing was dangerous misinformation, you run a music site. Calm your horses. Like, you're you're not saving the world. And, And it's not misinformation. And it's not dangerous. And you know that. And you're just power hungry, I guess. So one more thing in relation to the whole Rogan controversy. So a few people initially came out to defend Joe Rogan. Um, amongst them, Andrew Yang and The Rock. And then they got backlash for their support, so they apologized. Actually, Joe Rogan also apologized. Everyone knows these apologies are fake, right? Like, they're just apologizing to appease an angry group of people on Twitter. Not even, right, people who are tweeting at them or people who might take their jobs away, their money away, or not come see their movies or whatever it is. But, like, you have to know they're fake. Not that they're fake. I mean, they really made the apology. It's not like someone else, you know, it's not a fake video. They actually made the apology. But they clearly don't mean it. And they're just saying it to appease you. And I don't understand why people keep on demanding apologies or why people keep on making these apologies when they're they're so meaningless. It's like when two little kids fight and you tell the one to say sorry to the other and they say sorry in a 
We know what a fake apology looks like. When you coerce an apology out of someone, it doesn't mean anything. An apology has to be organically given, right? It has to be a choice that you're making to apologize for something that you've done. Now, when we do it with little kids, it's slightly different because we're teaching them about manners. So we hope that when they get to a grown-up age, they will know when to apologize for what they've done. But maybe what we've actually done by having kids apologize when they don't mean it is taught people to apologize for things and other people to just accept the apology and move on when these apologies, they don't mean anything. So Andrew Yang, right, he tweeted about Joe Rogan. He said, I know Joe Rogan and I know he employs and works with a ton of black people. I'm sure none of those people would say he's racist. And then like hours later, he took it down and he apologized and he said, I know race is a problem and I shouldn't have said what I said, and, you know, words to that effect. And I'm so sorry for anyone I hurt by my words, blah, 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 blah. Now, if Andrew Yang tweeted that thing about Joe Rogan two years ago, right, saying, I don't think anyone that works with Joe Rogan is racist. And then it took him two years to apologize. Okay, maybe in that time, he actually learned something and he changed his thought processes. And it's a real apology. But if you're tweeting something out hours later, you didn't learn anything, right? You're not changing your opinion in those few hours. What's happening is you posted something, people got back at you, you're afraid for your position, or in some cases, afraid for your life. I know people get death threats and things like that. So you're posting something to appease people. But we know that it doesn't mean anything. The Rock did something similar. He came out in support of Joe Rogan. And then when the N-word videos came out about Joe Rogan, The Rock went back on what he said. First of all, The Rock is so disappointing of a person because he's so masculine and, you know, the wrestler thing and all that. But he's like such a wimp and he just gives in to the mob because now he's found these like cool Hollywood friends and he's really popular. And it's a shame when people who are liked by one group decide instead to appease another, like to try to get in with a different crowd. Like you already have a lot of people who really like you. Just stick to your guns. They're, they're not going to go anywhere. But now they're going to go somewhere because you acted like a wimpy little girl. But these apologies are just, they're so meaningless. And is the mob really appeased? I'm not part of the mob, so I don't know. But like, I don't need Whoopi to apologize for her comments about the Holocaust. You know, that's a, that's a waste. Unless she really means it. You know, if she said, you know, I, I misspoke in the heat of the moment when you're on a talk show. Sometimes you say things you don't really mean, and that's not what I meant. Fine. You know, if someone really means to apologize, I mean, sometimes sometimes you do misspeak, and you have to fix it. It's fine. I'm not saying don't apologize for things, but these apologies where people defend their friends, and then because they're called out, undefend their friends. First of all, terrible friend. What kind of friend are you, honestly? Like, that's just awful. Like, I hope Joe Rogan isn't friends with Andrew Yang or The Rock anymore, because, like, with friends like that, right? But also we, we need to stop letting people get away with these apologies because they're so meaningless. We should stop demanding apologies. I don't care what side of the political aisle you're on. Stop demanding apologies from people. People will apologize. And if they won't apologize for something they've really actually done that's bad, good. Then you've learned something about them. Instead, we demand apologies so we think that they've changed or they say they've changed, but they probably haven't changed. In fact, we've probably just pissed them off even more. Instead of making a friend, we've made some sort of enemy. And also, I am not a super famous person yet. We're working on it. So I don't understand the pressures of being The Rock and having people on 
Twitter and on probably every other social media and maybe people actually calling and telling you you're a terrible person. So I don't understand that pressure and how hard it must be to withstand and the desire to make an apology so that you have your friends back. So I haven't walked in their shoes. So I don't totally understand what that's like and what incredible courage it must take, or at least like some amount of backbone to not make an apology. But stop making apologies, people. You see right through them. They're stupid and they're meaningless. Stick to your guns. That would be much more respected than these fake apologies. Anyway, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. And please share the podcast with anyone you think would benefit from some common sense and thoughtfulness. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at E Pluribus Unum Podcast. You can also find me on Locals at E Pluribus Unum Podcast.locals.com. The intro and end music is Chopin's Etude. Opus 10, number one in C major, known as the Waterfall Etude.